Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true. And it is all that I need. Are you really learning that? Are you really learning that this book, in fact, I had a beautiful comment this morning saying, is this the only book you ever use? And I said, yes, it is. And they said, that's the way we want it. And um, I hope that every one of you feel that way, that there is just no better book to be in when it comes to a life. Um, and, and boy, if ever we needed to hear God's advice, right? It is now. We need God's advice. And we, know, we need to know how to handle some of these things in our lives that, um, I mean, I just think people are getting meaner. I think they're getting um, more, they're more vocal. I mean, there's no filter, as they might say it anymore. I mean, it's just out there. We there's so much pressure and so much stress and, you know, people are kind of going crazy. I think you just see it everywhere. And, um, <laughs> I mean, we had an instance of that. Somebody got so mad at us on the road and we don't even know what we did. I mean, you know, that's getting pretty bad. Tom said, do you know what I did wrong? I said, no, I don't know. You know, I mean, and, and to see just that quick, that person just, I mean, not only he was using fingers that aren't supposed to be used in their wrong, ed, but, but he was just giving us this horrible glare like, you know, come on, you old people, get off the road or something like that, you know, and I'm thinking, what is with the world today, you know, so you have to, you know, not only, and that's what we need patience, and and that's why I prayed this morning that these three, you know, all nine are incredibly important. But I think these three um, are just the meat, right in the center of the nine listing. And um, not only can they change us, but they can change how we're being used to others. I think we can be help, we can be used to maybe change someone else's life. So they're really important lesson. So, all right. I wondered, how do I start the study on, on patience? You know, I mean, just going back a little, you see the order. I mean, uh, Paul, Paul listed these nine fruit. First of all, love, and we saw in First John that love is not something we, we can do ourselves. The real kind of love, the kind of love Jesus had, because he, John said, this is what love is. Not that you love God first, but that he loved you first. He started, he started love. He started love and what love means. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, love is no strings attached. It's just um, a giving of yourself. And it is not necessarily a feeling I mean, all of these that we're going to talk about today, too, we, we are such a feeling, you know, human nature is such a feeling, but some of these go way beyond feelings, and sometimes it's just an action of, but the Bible says, or this is what the Lord says, and, and so um, love that, no strings attached, you just plain love, and you, you can't do that unless you have God's Spirit doing that through you. We, and that's the whole thing. The spirit was left behind so that he enables us to do what we in our human nature could never do. So love, and then that just, you know, when you get a handle on what real love is, when you learn how to love unconditionally, when when you when you can just see that that's it just gets so much farther with people. 
then then it just and you see the reaction in that and you th- that just leads to joy you know jesus was love jesus is joy and and the quicker you get happiness out of the definition of joy the better you will be um you can be very unhappy your life situation can be very unhappy but you will never lose your joy because no one or nothing can take away that salvation that that relationship that you have with Jesus and and he will and you claim his promises that's joy you um Jesus said your joy can be complete when you're in a right relationship with me so and then peace that goes beyond um explanation really peace is that that oh instead of worrying I mean, instead of getting all tied in knots, instead of fretting, instead of getting all worked up, and instead of doing the natural human nature is just so, takes us down that path of, of um, you know, out of whack kind of thing. You can live in peace because you know that he, you know, this is a phrase that's so overused, but so truthful. He is the blessed controller of all things. He is in control of this world of your life. He is perfect in all his ways. And so we can live every morning waking up knowing that that he's not only there, but he's ready to give us life abundant. So uh, that's that's a great way to live. And I think when we get to know these facts and we start believing them, it does leave you with a freedom, a peace that oh, you can get up in the morning with a whole different attitude. So, but now we move into patience. Now it's number four in the list. So yes, because I had a lady once say, can we just jump to patience and skip the first three? I just need patience so much. Well, you can't have patience without understanding first that Jesus is love, that he's joy, he's our peace. And then then you move into patience. And and for so long, I thought patience was um, what I needed in the line at Meyer, you know. And, or, you know, we just, patience, the opposite of patient is impatient. And, and so, you know, I was kind of snickered about it. And, oh, yes, I'm, I'm impatient and I want things now and I don't like to wait. And that, I just kind of thought patience was, was something like that. But patience is so much better. Bigger. And this past month, I studied that word. And patience, the, the one word, because I just plain looked it up in the dictionary. I looked it up and I thought, what, is, what does the dictionary say patience is? And it listed a lot of synonyms, which uh, that's good. I like to see what, um, how we would look. What's another word for patience? And, and another word for patience, and this was the one that caught me, was self restraint there and that hit me square between the eyes patience is self-restraint you hold yourself back when your natural self wants to feel and it wants to you know it just comes without effort it it, it, just that quick just you know like what, what I said before how quick people can get mad how quick people can get out of sorts how how quick people can get discouraged how quick people can get depressed and and defeated and hopeless how quick 
And and this this whole fruit of patience is a self a self restraint. You got to hold on yourself. You hold back from what you want to do, and you do what God wants you to do. You act in a way that God wants. And so, when I ask these questions, I say, "Okay, you know, and you're, what do you think patience is?" You know, and then, and like I said, I went found these words, and then, why is it so difficult? Because turn in your Bibles to Matthew, chapter sixteen. And we're going to do that verse by verse this morning. And, you know, that whole, that whole thing about, that whole subject about um, forgiveness, you know, it can be put under that, the umbrella of patience because forgiveness is a major thing in, in our world today that we have to learn how to do, learn how to forgive, because an unforgiving spirit will lay heavy on you, will affect every part of you. And to have the have self-restraint, to have um, that, that feeling of patient, it's going to help you, I think, forgive you you especially when someone has hurt you so bad your natural your right away human feeling is payback or um maybe you know sever a relationship or whatever but a, a forgiving spirit is so much proud is so proudful and i want you to see how this works because this particular chapter um i mean matthew 18 um Starting with verse 23, this is going to show you the both sides. This is what it's going to, sh- it's going to show you what it's like when you um, self-restrain and when you don't. And on, under, the, um, uh, under the umbrella of patience is, for, is forgiveness. That's what I think I, excited me this month is that patience is, is um, like I said, a broad name for so many of my character traits, you know, how I react and how I perceive and how I go forward. This, this whole thing about patience, how do, I, how do I hold myself back when I know that my feelings are so strong and my feelings can't, I can't always count on? Can you, I mean, can you count on your feelings? I mean, I can feel one way in that how quick I think women's, sorry, Tom, but us women, you probably know, living with Ruby too, but we, we have, we've been made with enormous feelings. Women do. And we can't deny that, but they have to be kept in check because they can run rampant. And so here's a parable that Jesus said, because Peter asked him the question, how many times do we have to forgive somebody? I mean, pretty much he's saying, how many times do I have to self-restrain myself before I could finally let him have it? You know, that's basically what the question is. Because forgiveness is when you, when you, um, because we think forgiveness sometimes means, well, we're okaying what they did. Like it's, it's all right. And, you know, so I don't want to forgive because I want them to learn that this isn't right. This 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 is a proper behavior, and so we can talk ourselves into thinking, "Well, I'm just not going to give in so easy to that." They they got to learn this, and and so. 
Peter is so typical, so human nature, such a good example of what, of what we are like left to ourselves. And so he says, you know, how many times, how about if I do it seven, if I forgive seven times? I think he thought he was being quite, quite, um, you know, the good Joe. Like, hey, how about it if I do it seven times? Wouldn't that be? And then if then finally I'll let him have it. And Jesus comes back and says, you know, I tell you, 70 times seven. And, of course, that doesn't mean 490, and you could start, you know, going down 489. That, 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 you know, when we did Matthew, you know, a few months ago and did this chapter, we talked about it. But um, this is so important to see. Jesus says, in my, I want my character in you, and I am continuously forgiving you, and there is no limit, and you are just to forgive you are to, to not carry that and to let it go. And so he said, maybe if I tell you a story, if I show you what it's like when it's done right and when it's done in human nature, when, when it's done in the way that I want you to handle it versus the way when you want to do it your way. And so he says, there was a kingdom, there in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle the account first with a man who owed him 10,000 talents, who, and he was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So here, the picture, you get that picture? The king loaned this one servant 10,000 talents. And this is a parable, but if you would check 10,000 talents nowadays, it is a, a, a debt that's really not paybackable. And, of course, that's the whole point of the parable, you know. So this, this servant came and said, I can't pay, I can't pay it back. And so the king said, well, then um, I, will, I will take you and your wife and your children, and that's going to have to be the way it goes. Well, look at the reaction. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Well, that's not even possible. But he he just, I mean, the thought of being sold and his family and his life was over and his, look what he did to his family and, and it, he just begged. Well, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now, that was, I mean, that, why was that self-restraint for that master? Well, it's because, you know, he, there probably was a contract. He, there probably was something or a handshake or something when this man needed money and the master loaned him that kind of enormous amount of money and said, well, then on such and such a day, this is when you pay me back. And, um, and he signed it and, the, you know, we got this agreement. Well, you know, all is done proper. It's fair. I mean, I, I want my money back. And so 
for him, why is it self-restraint? Is because everything human probably was saying, hey, I deserve my money back. We had an agreement. He agreed to it. So, you know, for him to say, um, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to take it on myself. I will, I will let the dead go and you can go home and your family is intact. I mean, think about what, what that must have felt like for that man to be rid of that. Because ever since he took that money, when you when you know you owe somebody back and you you it just kind of is it's on your mind you just at least for me i just can't wait to to make sure that that loan is paid off i don't like that feeling over me all the time so when it was gone and when he said your debt is gone you go home and you live you go ahead and live with your family that pressure is off you Oh, what a relief. I can't even imagine the relief that man must have felt. I don't have to think about that debt again. The freedom of of not having that on my shoulders. So between verses 27 and 28, because you have been now forgiven of a debt that you down deep knew was unpaybackable. That was just not even a possibility. And now you don't even have to think about it anymore. You then move and because wouldn't you think that this man would have ran home to tell his wife and his family, you know, because they're in on this. I'm sure they were wondering what was going to happen with their own lives. You'd think you would have run home first of all to take to to make sure that the this good news was shared. But somewhere between between this place that he was at and home, it just turned ugly. It just absolutely turned ugly because all of a sudden he totally forgot what was done to him. And he, before he even went home, it said, but when that servant went out, he found one of the servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I just put it into human words as a 20 bucks. He grabbed him. It began to choke him. Look at this. Look at this same guy. Pay back what you owe me. Now, do you think there's any self-restraint here? No, there is no self-restraint here. He is just, he is just in, he has just watched self-restraint at its perfect form. And now he goes out to a person that owed him $20 and he grabs him and chokes him. Pay back what you owe me. He demanded his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged to be patient with me and I will pay you back. In other words, have a little self, have a little bit of self-restraint. Be patient. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? 
in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay him back. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I love the way Jesus added from your heart because he knows that that's where the spirit is going to dwell. He, that's where, where the spirit's going to be able to help you do what you can't do for yourself because your human feelings are just going crazy. They're just going without any effort at all. There is no self-restraint in the normal human nature because self is on the throne. Do you realize, maybe I just should insert here, this, this lesson, these lessons on the fruit of God's spirit, there's nine of, nine of them. And you cannot, you cannot have one and not the other. If you don't have one, you don't have any of them. They all mesh together. You don't see love here. You don't see joy in this man's face. You don't see peace. I mean, I bet if you took a look at him, he had the worst sour face. I mean, he grabs the guy, chokes the guy. And then there's absolutely no self-restraint. I mean, you see human nature. This is what left into ourselves. This is the kind of behavior. You think we don't need God's spirit? Now, the spiritual gifts, remember, we don't all have all of them. So that's a whole different, that's a whole different lesson. But you've got to see the difference between the fruit of God's spirit and spiritual gifts. The fruit of the spirit, they all go together. That's why there's no S on fruit of the spirit. They all work together, all nine. And you see from this one story here, you don't see any of those four. The first four that we've done so far, you don't see any of them. You certainly don't see kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and there's absolutely no self-control here. But look what you saw in, in the master when he, when he held tr- true to the character of God's spirit. You saw love, unconditional love. No, he deserved his money, but instead he decided to love without strings attached. He thought of this man and his family, and he thought, you know what, that's more to me, that this family stay intact. And, uh, you know, he just, but you know that this story is all about Jesus trying to teach us that, look at, look at what I did for you. I gave my all for you. I left heaven for you. I went to a cross for you. And he's saying, I forgave you of all your sins. I gave you what you didn't deserve. And I didn't give you what you did deserve. Grace and mercy. And then you see that other side. You think we don't need God's spirit and We need these character traits. Every fruit of God's spirit is a character trait, a character trait of Jesus that we should desire, not only for it to make us who who he wants us to be, but to live in this kind of world and to live and react in it the way we should. And that's only possible with understanding what his spirit in our lives can produce in us. These new character traits. That's why the word transform 
comes. A verse Bonnie read to me this morning, just turn to it. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul understood. I mean, he was the master of writing about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and um, so 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 17. Look what, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that is, I don't know if you, I, I'm just learning about what that word freedom means. I'm just really starting to understand how beautiful that word freedom is. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. You know, countenance is a major thing too. Our countenance. Because, I mean, you know, when that lady was sitting, when that lady was sitting next to me at the light, you know, and I was going to, I was going to, I wasn't going to say anything. I didn't beat my horn and I wasn't going to say anything. But you know what? There was a part of me that said, um, I'm going to look at her and hopefully she'll look at me and then I can communicate this look and she'll get the message. I mean, you know, we tried to use so many different means in countenance. It's not just words. It's not just behavior. It's, it's sometimes our countenance. We could shoot a look. I mean, that's why the phrase of looks good kill. So, and he says, and we who with unveiled faces, because when we've gone to the cross of Christ, we wear that label Christian on the back, on our back. Guess what? Our faces, we have been uncovered and now we reflect. And what should we be reflecting? It says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory in our life. And that should, that shouldn't even be hard for us. Because we're so grateful that we are saved, that, we have a, that we've got a home being prepared for us, that we are settled. He settled it all. He settled all accounts for us. I mean, there shouldn't be any problem about our countenance. It's been unveiled, the, the, the real us, the cross took care of it, and now the real us should be reflecting his glory. And then look, it's this. And what are we being? We are being, look at the word, transformed. From the day we take that walk to Calvary, every day after that, you and I, because of his spirit inside of us, should be, be transforming us into a whole new character, into nine characteristics of Christ. The Holy Spirit, that's his work in us. And it should be absolutely transforming because it's now no longer I that's living, it's Christ that's living in me. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to live the way Christ wants me to live versus the way I naturally want to live and be and do and look, then guess what? That's transforming. When you know yourself so well and when you understand Jesus so well, there should be transformation day by day, more and more every day. 
So let me read it in its entirety here. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. You know what? You and I should be a delight to be around. People should want to be by us. Not that we're preaching and banging people over the head with our biggest King James version we've got. They should just want to be by us because we reflect his glory. And our character is, the, is Jesus' behavior. And it doesn't even have to be preachy or does it just, this has got to be our natural character. Because that's another thing that when I saw the dictionary, it said patience is a character trait. But then I thought all nine of them are. All nine are character traits that we should want. Now, another under the umbrella of patience is, yes, the, the waiting. Learning how to wait. And so, yeah, I, we went to Isaiah 40, 31. You know that verse. They that wait on the Lord, and that doesn't just mean wait for his timing. It means wait on him to do it through you instead of you doing it yourself. When we try to do it ourselves, I'm telling you, it's exhausting. And it's not too, you don't succeed too well. When you try to fix your, your situation, when you try to even fix you, it is not, you do not succeed because we can't. And, and the Holy Spirit will transform us and, and cause us to wait on the Lord instead, wanting him to do the work through us instead of us running ahead. And why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to take all these things that under the umbrella of patience, like forgiveness and waiting that we're doing today? But there's so many that we need self-restraint on. And everybody has their individual weakness that they need self-restraint on. Because, boy, if, if I'm not connected to God's spirit, I don't like what I see and hear. And so why is it so hard to self-restraint? Why is it so hard to wait? Why is it so hard to forgive? Why is it so hard? Yeah, it really is such a simple answer, isn't it? It's just because it's, it's self. It's, it's self is always the problem. And self is going always in a totally different direction. Selfishness, that's right. You know, that, why is it difficult? Because... Not only do I want it now, um, I want to do it myself. You know, we're taking care of Jason's kids. And uh, we have a little two-year-old. He is something. He is such a cutie. But he's got two brothers, of course, you know, older brothers that are 11 and 12. And then all of a sudden we get this two-year-old. So you can see that this two-year-old is learning a lot. And this is what I'm hearing. And I couldn't, I thought, how profound when I'm doing this lesson. This is what I'm hearing from this kid, because he has got a verbal vocabulary. I'm telling you, this kid, he is, he is so smart. And he looked at me, and he says, I can do it. 
I can do it. I mean, that just in every little thing, getting out of the car, um, putting them in the car, um, put, getting them in the sand. I mean, everything that I did, he would look at me. I can do it. <sighs> okay. But I think that is so human nature. How often, why is it so hard? Is because I can do it. That's what we think. But I... You know, and that's what he meant. I can do it myself. I don't, you push my hand away. You know, they, they just love to. And sure, this is creating a growing up independence kind of thing. But I just had to think to myself, boy, that doesn't leave us ever. We always want to do it ourselves. And so how can you wait? Patiently, because when you when you try to do it yourself, I mean, well, like, okay, okay, Regan, you want to get out of the car yourself? It's a pretty big step. Oh, yep, he got out himself and he fell. Yeah. You know, and I think what a good example there, too. We try doing our lives ourselves, and a lot of times you fall, and you then you have to suffer the, the consequence. I was right there to help him out, and then he went and got that skin knee, and he wouldn't have been hurting, and he wouldn't have been crying, and all that kind of thing. That, and I think that's so with me when I think I can do it, and, and then I mess it up. And, but I'm learning to wait on the Lord, even though maybe it doesn't happen right then. Maybe it doesn't even happen the way I want it. But the more I'm getting to understand Look at he says, if you wait on me, I'll make it so worth your while. It's not easy to, to come to me when you're such an independent person and you want to do it yourself, and that's what human nature is pounded into you. I know it, I, he understands that when Isaiah wrote it. The Lord was telling him, I understand human nature, but if you're willing to wait on me, you'll find that your strength is renewed. Look at the opposite. When you try to do it yourself, you get exhausted. You use several consequences. You usually get hurt and all you mess it all up. And he says, look at, look at the difference. If you learn to wait on me, your strength will be renewed. You can mount up with wings like eagles. You can run and not be weary and walk and not faint. Now, what, what do, we, do you want to fall and get hurt or do you want to wait for me and look what I will give you instead? See, these character traits, what a different way to live. I looked at Jesus. I went back in, in our Matthew study, and I went in the last, few, the last weeks of our study, and I watched Jesus show us such self-restraint. When he was before the pilot and the jeepers and, and all, he, he, he just stood there. He took it. The only time he would answer was when he, they said, are you? Yes, I am. Then he admitted that. But when it came, he didn't fight back. He knew it isn't worth it because they don't understand anyway. To have self-restraint, to know when to talk or when to react or when, or when to just hold back. What a beautiful fruit of God's spirit when you learn how to self-restrain yourself. And that moves into kindness because I think that it just flows just so beautiful. Now you have the fruit of kindness. 
and I said, okay, what is kindness? Describe kindness. What, what is usually a word that will come up when you're trying to describe someone who's kind? They're usually very nice. They're kind, nice. They're very nice. And they're giving. They're helpful. Yeah. The, the, the definition of kindness, and that's why we need it, because, because I know a lot of people who are very nice people that aren't even believers. They're very, they're very nice. I mean, I know one, one gal in particular, she would just give me the shirt off her back. I mean, but she doesn't know Jesus, but she is a very nice person. So why would that be? in the list of something that human nature can't produce so the Holy Spirit's going to change you into someone who is kind. Kindness, again, is a bigger word than what we think. Kindness, from what I, when I went to and start turning to 2 Samuel chapter 9, because this is a great example of what God's kindness in our life would be like. Kindness is, if, if you want a one-word definition of kindness, it's selflessness. That's why it needs to be in the middle of the character traits. <laughs> because to be selfless, to, to be able to, to put yourself aside for someone else, You know, that, I mean, you can maybe do it in your own strength once or twice or whatever, but sometimes people are living with difficulties that they, they, it, it finally, well, how, how haven't, how many times haven't you even said this? You know what? I've been nice long enough. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, uh, no, you know, it's kind of like what Peter said. How many, how many times do I have to do it your way before I, you know, enough is enough. And I, <laughs> it's, it's another one of those. You've got to have God's spirit that because it's, it's Matthew, Mark, you know, they've, they pretty much all the gospels said it, that Jesus said to be a follower of mine, you need to what? Deny yourself. Now, take up your cross, that's a broad term because, you know, that changes from day to day. I need to deny myself so that I can handle this difficult person in the right way today. That's my cross today. So in the broad term of take up your cross, like I said, that changes all the time because we are continually having to deny ourselves to be selfless to be more and more in the character of our Savior. So 2 Samuel 9, the story of David, he's king, and is there anyone, he says, he asks, is there anyone in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? You know, David is a man who is, um, well, yeah, not only a man after God's own heart, but he, when the Spirit of God rested on him, he, oh, Beautiful. But it, that hasn't changed a bit. 
when you're running by the spirit of God, let me tell you, it's just a whole different scenario. And David was under right now, and we know he didn't always, but right now he's under the power of God's spirit. And so he's going above protocol because protocol says you can kill everybody in the house of Saul. You've got every right to get rid of everybody in the house of Saul. And, and, you know, that rule was made because, you know, if you'd let anybody, you know, stay alive, they could probably try to overthrow you. So just annihilate the whole family and you won't have that problem. So that was the, that was the culture. That was the rule. Now, you know, he and Jonathan were very, very tight friends, very, very close friends. And I think, you know, the first time he mentioned it, he's thinking he's under God's spirit. And you know how the Lord talks to you? I mean, he did not in a verbal voice, but all of a sudden, I think he got up one morning and he was under God, the power of God's spirit. And he said, man, what can I do? Let's see is there anybody in Saul's household? Man, Jonathan was so special to me. Does he have any family? Does he have any family left? And and then I think the more he thought about it, I think he changed his tune a little bit because look at in verse 3, he says, he changes it to this. Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul because, you know, I could have killed everybody. But, you know, when you're under God's spirit and the, and the Lord was talking to him, the Lord had plans from Mephibosheth and he needed David. See, this is where it can be life-changing and we got to be listening to God's spirit as he can use us in such big ways. Maybe not King and Mephibosheth, David and Mephibosheth, but when the Lord tells you and I to do something, So look how he changes that. Is there anyone left in the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Because human kindness, he started realizing, you know what? I know me so well, and I don't think I would do that because, you know, let's just leave bygones be bygones. If, if there's been no trouble, let's just, let's just forget about it and put it out of our mind. But God wanted to do something to Mephibosheth. And how is he going to do that? But through David. God's got plans for someone else, but how is he going to get his plans? How how is he going to show himself to that person? He needs to use his children. He was crippled. So, you know, in that day and age, that he was worthless pretty much. So anyway, they answered. The servant came back and said, well, yes, there is the son of Jonathan. You could almost hear him say, but he's got crippled feet, so he's no threat to you. I mean, he just let, just let him stay outside of town. Now, why did Mephibosheth go live so far away? Well, you know, he's no dummy. He might have crippled feet, but he's no dummy. He's thinking, maybe if I'm out of sight, I'm out of mind, and I might be able to spare my life here. Well, and another thing, he probably thought I'm worthless anyway. So, you know, so you got both those things going for you. And he just, he, he is not right prime in that area. So they had to go looking. I mean, I can't even pronounce some of those words, but Ziba said he is at the house of Bakur, son of Emil in Low Denbar. I mean, I never heard of those words before. So, I mean, he is out there. 
King David had him brought to him. He said, go get him. Verse 6, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Now, when you would get, if you were Mephibosheth, you got a knock at the door. It's David's servant saying, "Uh, the king wants you to come. What do you think, Mephibosheth? I mean, he is just shaken. And it's obviously shaken because David notices it. I mean, he is fearing for his life. I'm pretty much sure he thinks it's, it's, it was nice while it lasted. I mean, he knows the laws. He knows. So he follows the servant. He gets before David. And David said, Mephibosheth. Your servant, he replied. I can just, you know, when you're under God's spirit, I mean, I can just see David with love and joy and peace and patience coming and then kindness just gushing from him. Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. (laughs) And Mephibosheth is thinking, how in the world am I not going to be afraid? But if he peeked, he would have seen the countenance of David, the glory of the Lord coming out of David's face. There wouldn't have been any fear. There shouldn't have, there, there, he would have seen, the, the, like I said, all the character traits of what the Spirit can produce in our life. And so look at David says, I will surely, surely, for sure, I'm not just saying it today, another thing tomorrow. I see all these little words make a difference because, you know, sometimes people could say, I haven't you say, oh, yeah, um, I'll call (laughs) you. We got to go for lunch someday. Ah, you never hear from them. You know. And we, and I'm not saying that they're bad because you have good intentions, but you just never get to it. And, And what do you always hear? Oh, so busy, just so busy. I had someone tell me that they are invited to a wedding that they don't want to go to. And <laughs> last night we had a long talk about it. And, and why they asked me is, I says, well, the fact that you're asking me shows that you're guilty. <laughs> the fact that you know you're, that you have a problem here or you wouldn't even come to me if you were so sure you're right. But I don't want to go. I said, well, there, you just said it. You don't want to. But this excuse and that excuse, but I don't prove it. I don't like it. I just kept saying, do you hear yourself? And it was really, it was really um, watching just what we had studied, what we had just studied. And that's why she was feeling convicted. And she says, well, wonder if we just plain can't. It's in in Indiana and wonder if it's just not going to be possible and I said, if God wants you there, he'll make a way. And let's see if you're making excuses or whether. I mean, I just couldn't let her get away with it. Because I, you got that fight of human nature all the time. You don't want to. You, you know, I've got, a, I, I got priorities. And I've got, what are your priorities? Your priority is to reflect the glory of the Lord after what he's done for you. Keep doors open. When their world falls apart, they're going to remember who was there and who wasn't. A little self-restraint here. 
Put yourself aside here. Huh. She came in with such a difficult question and left with such a simple answer. When you follow the principles of God's spirit. And I think this story, when, when the Lord is talking to you, it, I mean, it's just, like I said, if I could see David right now, you could almost see him reflecting the Lord's glory. And like I said, yes, he was human. And, in a, you know, in another chapter, boy, he doesn't. So, but that shows, if, you know, we're going to study that in the fall. We're going to show how easy, even someone with a heart after God's, like yours and mine, we desire to live for him, but we're fighting an enormous battle. And that's with our own self. And it keeps creeping in. Don't think it doesn't. And we got to learn how to fight this and to learn that the, the Spirit wants to give us character traits that will make it easier and easier to do it God's way instead of following our own. Does this make sense? So look what he says to Mephibosheth. He says, look, I want to restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. I mean, this, this cripple feet guy think, is thinking his life is over. And now he not only is, he doesn't have to even think about that little plot of land or maybe he's renting, I don't know, over there in what, Lodabar, I don't know. But the thing is now he's going to get all the land that was once his grandpa's and, what does David say? You're going to be eating at my table, which means it's just like my family. It's just like my son. And then, and then oh, this has got to break your heart because it didn't mind. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Oh. Then the king summoned Ziba. I've given your master's grandson, everything that belonged to Saul and his family. He's telling the people in that, that make it happen, go make it happen. Oh, what a story. Verse 11, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. I couldn't help but ask, can kindness, when produced by God's spirit, because what does, what does it take? I mean, what does it cost? It usually will cost you. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you maybe money. I don't know. It'll cost something when you put yourself aside for someone else. However, can it change someone's life without being melodramatic? I think we just read the story. I got to tell you about, and I don't think I've ever told you this story either because it didn't, I haven't thought about it in years until I did this preparation. One, I don't know where I was, but someone from the Shriners was at this concert and came up to me and he says, I, I don't know what you call the highest uh, poobah or kingpin or whatever. I don't, I don't know. but And I'm, I'm not minimizing the Shriners because they do an enormously wonderful work. I, I, I want to get that straight right away. But they are notorious for a different kind of lifestyle. You know, they just are. And so when he says to me, he says, we would really like you to come and sing for our, our, our big Christmas gathering of all the Shriners. 
would you would you consider doing that? And again, my first thought was, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should be identified with that. You know, what's someone going to say if they hear, oh, now Linnell's singing for the Shriners or I remember thinking the same thing. I want to see you, Mary. I think of the, the same thing that I thought when, when uh, you said to me, how about if we put Linnell Pierce Ministries on the back of Vern's NASCAR? My first thought was, I don't know, is that a good thing? You know. And I remember the Lord spoke to me then, and he spoke to me the same in this instance, and he does speak. I mean, it was without hesitation I said yes, because I heard the Lord say, I want you to go into all the world. And I went to that Christmas. I went to that Christmas, and this is what happened. Before I even gave the program, you know, they had no idea. Most of them there, I had no idea who I was. And they probably thought, oh, she's going to sing, you know, some nice Christmas songs and all that. But I'd made it clear to that man. I said, you won't change me. I said, Christmas to me is all about Jesus. I know, I know, but you can get away with it at Christmas. So, you know, I mean, you could tell they had no Christianity thought in mind about this program. He just happened to like this, the way I sang, and he wanted me to sing at this event. No big deal. <laughs> well, the Lord had plans. The Lord had plans. And so I get there, and I'm sitting next to the, the kingpin, Mr. Poobah. I don't know. I'm sitting next to him. They put me right next to the main guy. And then when he's standing up, he says, we're going to have a great day. We're going to have a great program. And he says, but before we have the program, he says, um, we're going to have, we're gonna have the, we might as well do the raffle now, everybody. And he says, Here, we're going to turn the crank. And, and I know you're all excited, so let's just get it out of the way right away because the winner is going to get this huge keg of beer here. Oh, man, all the shrine, they all can't wait. Everybody has put their, their thing in the end of the thing. They're, they want to be the winner. You could tell there was buzz in the air. And then, and then he says, and we're going to have our guest draw the winning ticket. Ah, <laughs> oh, no. I'm thinking, what? Oh, dear. And I'm thinking, oh, is the Lord going to smite me right in front of all these people? But there was no way I could say, no, can't do it. Couldn't do it. I just, I thought, I, before I even opened my mouth, if I tried to act like, I, you know, I thought, can't do it. I can't say no. So I proudly stood by that thing and reached in and got the winning ticket for the Shriner that, oh, was he excited about it. Well, I gave my program, and I'm telling you, there, there was a holy hush in there. The Lord was working, and, and there was a gentleman there that to this day I will never forget. And, and we just clicked, and I ended up doing so many things for those Shriners. But they never caused, they never asked me to change. They never asked me to not sing about Jesus, and I just did. And this one particular man, he had more questions for me. He was searching. He wanted to know. And I just kept explaining. I said, it is, and it's your decision, but everybody, every one of us needs a Savior. Everybody needs the cross of Christ. And I don't care who you are, how many good deeds you do, you still need a Savior. And I remember talking to this guy so many times. And then one day when I was um, going to Bible study, a lady, I was a little late that day, and a lady ran into me, and she says, I don't believe it, Linnell Pierce. And I said, yeah. And she said, 
I, I said to the Lord, if you want me to tell her, then have me run into her. Because we never, our paths never cross otherwise. And that day, sure enough, and now the Lord started this whole process and this whole story, so I know so long, but I just got to show you how the Lord's hand in using us is just so real. We can't deny it. And so she said, um, so-and-so, and she mentioned the man, and she says, you know, you remember me. Oh, yeah. And, and she says, well, he is in Holland Hospital, but he's not going to be living long. And she said, I just, what you do with this information is up to you, but I just wanted to be, I, I felt like I had to tell you. If I ran into you today, that was my fleece. Well, this was a Wednesday, and I am starting, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do that. And, and so um, Thursday came, and I had a mother and daughter banquet to do. And then Friday, I was leaving for Wisconsin. So I said, well, you know, in my mind, you know, I'll do it Monday. You know, I mean, I'm busy today. I'm getting ready, and i got this banquet tonight, and uh, Thursday night, and then I'll leave for Wisconsin, and I'll do it Monday. And I tell you, the Lord just knows. I just, don't tell me you don't know what I'm talking about. You know when he is prodding you along, and you're trying to come up with every cockamamie excuse you got because you don't really want. It might be uncomfortable. You don't really... Well, Thursday night, but this time I'm just so, I mean, the Lord has beat me down. I mean, I am standing, and this was going to be a big mother and daughter banquet, bring out the good dress. I mean, it is, it is one of those kind of events. And I am in this, this big, nice dress, sparkly dress. And I said to Tom, I said, drive me by Holland Hospital. And now he's learned he just, he just doesn't. I went into Holland Hospital, you bet. Everybody looked at me thinking, oh, you're a little overdressed. What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to show? You know, you just can watch. And I thought, you know what? I, I just kept like the adulterous woman. You just, you just keep looking forward. You just can't look at all the, what people are saying about you. And I just kept my eyes fixed, and I found the room, and I walked in. He's hooked up to every machine, and I walked in, and I didn't even know if he was conscious. And he looked at me, and it was very clear that he recognized me. And that little finger came up, and he went, Singer. And I went to his bed, and I held his hand, and I said, Oh, I'm so glad to see you. And I said, But I said, I gotta be honest with you. You know our talks. I said, you know what I stood for. You know that I didn't ever, I never altered from the principle of what I believe is the gospel for everybody that lives. I said, I got to ask you, are you ready to meet Jesus? Because you know and I know it isn't going to be long. Are you ready? And he, tears in his eyes, I won't forget it. And, and he nodded and I said, that's all that matters and I prayed with them, and I said, now, watch heaven open for you. And I was walking out, and I turned around, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and he just lifted his hand up. And I went to the banquet. I went to Wisconsin for the weekend, and it came home Monday morning, and I opened up the paper, and his name was in there for the obituary. And the thing is, I, I haven't thought of this story in years but sometimes, yeah, it costs. It costs. 
Maybe some embarrassment or, you know, I mean, what what are people going to think and all that. You come up with all these excuses, but sometimes somebody just has to hear. And you know when God is speaking to you and he uses, you know, we say, well, God do something. Well, guess what? He might choose to use you to do it. No. Don, I just think of the friend you were to Linda. And, I, you know, I, I look at many of you, and, you know, you think it, it, it took time. It took a lot of putting other things aside. And like I said to that gal last night, sometimes you just have to do what's right. And it or gives you that opportunity to be there. And then you find that you're, you're, you can matter. You can matter for someone else. You know, I think, wonder if I didn't go. Wonder if I, well, wonder if I looked at the Shriners and said, no. God had a plan. I think of that um, high school assembly. Wonder, wonder if I hadn't changed my program. Wonder if I hadn't gotten mad enough to say, you know what, you, you kids have got to hear this. You're just so immune to this. I mean, wonder if I just didn't do that. Then that one kid that came up to me afterwards, and I wanted out of there because I knew that I had, had really pushed the limit. And so I said, Tom, get this equipment out of here. We're, we're leaving. And then this one kid grabs me and says, can I talk to you for a minute? And my first instinct was to say, no, I mean, I'm on a schedule. i got to get going. Because I didn't want to. I wanted out of there. You know, I, you just, I'm just telling you these stories because, you know, I think we've all been there. And how many times we come up with excuses. And the Lord says, my spirit is there so that you can help someone know the way. If this kid, he was going to commit suicide that night, but the change of that program, all of a sudden you realize Jesus loves me. I think to myself, wonderful, wonder, because I, I want my way all the time. I, I don't want to be inconvenienced. I don't want to. You know, why, why does the Lord put you, you know, next to that person in the self-serve line and, and their credit card doesn't work and they've got diapers and formula and all that and they're, oh, shoot. Because you know your credit card works. That's why. You know, I, this is real life and this is what the Spirit wants to do so that our, our selfish character can be turned into selfless character because that's just how Jesus was and he did it for you. Then the least we could do to show him that we're grateful for what he did by doing it back. I had you look up, I mean, look at Jesus' examples. And, you know, I had you look up Matthew 9, Matthew 20. You know, you got the ruler that needed Jesus. You had the two blind men that needed Jesus. You needed the, the leper that needed Jesus. I mean, everyone was an inconvenience. You have that adulterous woman in John 8. You've got, um, I added one, Matthew 15, that Canaanite woman. When we did that last year, I just, oh, I was so taken by that Canaanite woman and the way Jesus handled her and how the disciples wanted to shove her away like, oh, let's get her out of here. Let's get, move a little faster, you know? And that, that's just what our human nature wants to do. And Jesus stopped. <clears throat> so... 
I think I think we get the point. All right. Um, let's see. And then we move into goodness. Now, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, turn to Ephesians 1, chapter, yeah, Ephesians 1, is starting with verse 3. If you need to know how, what's so good about being one of God's own, you just have to look at Ephesians 1, and starting with verse 3, you see words that you and I would never be able to have otherwise. To be able to know that he will give us spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. I mean, there, there's nothing that this world can give us. There is nothing that can bless us. I don't care what material things you have, no matter what social position you have, no matter what powerful job position you have, no matter who you are, there is nothing that can satisfy other than the spiritual blessings. That's why God is so good. He's able to give us and, and satisfy us and content us because the world, believe it or not, can't do it. I mean, it can give us a lot of great things and it can give us a lot of enjoyment and a lot of happiness, but it can't give satisfaction and contentment. I heard a story this weekend about this couple that lives in Colorado. I mean, kind of like Bill Gates' wealth and very, very wealthy. And they must have had a rip-roaring fight and they called their minister. And the minister came over there and they both were sitting there just a fuming. Must not have been the first time. And the man, the man said to this minister, he, he brought it, he put his hand over all this, because, I mean, there's waterfalls and everything in this house, you know. And he goes like this. He said, I'd give it all up to have a good marriage. The minister turned to the woman who is dropped at gorgeous model material. I mean, everything that, you know, physically is there. She said, and I would give it all up that we could be like, and, he, and she named a couple, a couple from their church who have absolutely nothing, but are on every, that are doing everything for everybody and just having the, they, they reflect the glory of the Lord. And she said, I'd give it all up to be them. Hmm. So you look at Ephesians 1 and you start seeing, see, this is what's going to satisfy you and content you. And not that the other, the blessing, you know, the earthly blessings that he gives us, they're not, because they can be used in such enormous, beautiful ways for God's kingdom. I know that. But we have to have, no matter what all he's given us, we have to know that there is nothing from this world, no matter what is attained, that can give what he can give. Words like, chose us. We can become holy and blameless. We can, we can be redeemed. I love that when it says, to him we have redemption through his blood, verse 7. The forgiveness of his sins. He lavishes us with wisdom and understanding. So you see words like, he chose us, he redeemed us, he forgave us, his grace is lavished, his wisdom is lavished, his, and you read words like salvation and 
Paul says them all. God is so good. And like I said before, to not give us what we do deserve and to not give us what we did. And that is, that is his goodness with a capital G. But in the last few minutes, I want to go to Psalm 107. Psalm 107, because as you read this psalm, I bet you did notice that, that you know, the psalmist starts by giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Did anybody ever say this phrase, God is good all the time, all the time God is good? I mean, we say that. all sounds great, doesn't it? Well, what about when you're smack dab in the worst of conditions and it isn't fair and all this kind of stuff? Why didn't he? And he could have and he should have and all this kind of thing. He is good. He's good all the time. And the psalmist says, and he starts this psalm, and it's such an important psalm. God is good. And we should give thanks that he is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, from the north and the south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away, and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. So, okay, what are these, what are these people? What, is this what does this represent, these verses? I would say it's you and me before. It's, it's kind of like, remember I said, um, the day of our salvation, the best day of our life has to start out the worst. It's when you finally come to the realization that this world can't give you what you need. Something is missing. And all of a sudden you start, you feel like you're wandering in desert wastelands. You find out that that... There's got to be more to this. There's got to be. I see myself the way I really am. And I think these verses show us that this is the time when you realize you can't do it without him. You are nothing without him. And so, I mean, it says they were hungry and thirsty. You know, you're not satisfied. It's something you just, you just haven't got it. You look around and you know that there's this and that. Yes, I know I'm earthly blessed, but something is still gnawing. I mean, you'd see it so often when you hear about people that, you know, I I mean, I I, I look at, oh, Robin Williams for an example. I mean, he just pops into my mind. You know, something, he just didn't have it. And yet, goodness, he was funny, he had fame, he had wealth, he had, you know, he was such a great entertainer and see all the things that the world gave him and yet he just couldn't, it drove him to the point of crazy. This isn't it. But when you do realize what your need is and you cry out, you know, you get, you, get, you get that hunger and thirst and, and you're willing instead of just, unfortunately, some people can't see that there is more so that they just end their life because they don't want to end, they don't want to live like this. But look what, well, look what happens here. It says they cried out. They, you realize that there is someone. The angels were right when they said, 
Frontier was born this day in the city of David, a savior. You do have someone. See, I wonder sometimes if people don't realize. They don't realize that that's why they're not connecting. They cried to the Lord. And look what the Lord, what did he do? In their trouble, in their, in their weakness, and in their humility, and in their, man, they delivered them from their distress. I mean, it is distress. You cry out to the Lord. You confess. You cry out to him. He's faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive, and he, he promises to be near and never to forsake you. I'll tell you, he is good. He doesn't say, well, we better talk about your lifestyle and what you've been doing before. I, I mean, no. It's that they cried out to him, and he came to them in their distress. He delivered them. Oh, God is so good. But then in the next group, verses, and this is what I wanted to get to, because this is where we can get confused. Okay, verse 10. Some sat in darkness and the deepest gloom, prisoners suffering in iron chains, for they had rebelled against the words of God, despised the counsel of the Most High. So th these are people, maybe even like you and I, we know. However, when we disconnect from God's Spirit and we want to, I, I can do it. And you start moving off the track. You better be glad that you have a God who's so good and loves you so much that he will do whatever it takes to say, uh-uh, no more. Pull you and I back. Because you say, well, I don't rebel against the words of God. Anytime self is on the throne, yes, you are. I can do it. <laughs> so look at he subjected them he subjected them to bitter labor now God's not supposed to do that that's not nice that's not a kind God that's not a good God it most certainly is all of the above and it's called discipline he subjected them. Was it uncomfortable? Yes. But it, did it get their attention? Yes. And sometimes the consequences of sin, because look, look up, move to verse 17. Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Don't kid yourself. Some of our misfortunes are just consequences to sin. Don't blame God for them. You were foolish enough to think that you could do it. But when it came to their senses, verse 19, they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. I mean, there's, did you notice when you read this psalm, there's a pattern to God's goodness. It wasn't always comfortable. He sometimes had to do severe things. But it's because he is so good that he doesn't, he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. So that's what starts it all off. But then when he knows our human nature and he understands that we have a pull in that direction and our feelings always run rampant and it's hard to get them under control sometimes and then we do things we're sorry for or things that we say that we wished we didn't and all that. He understands that. And he says, when you fall off the wagon... 
just come to me. And every time when you come to him, there was a one time in this psalm that when someone cries out to him and says, I blew it, that he didn't rescue them and deliver them. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have, there's, con- there's consequences. So, all right. Is God good all the time? All the time God is good. Just keep that in mind. That's why we need his spirit so much that we can, even in the hard times, we can know that God is, well, Paul said it, for we can know that in all things, he is working for the good of those who love him. He knows what he's doing. So, good lesson. Have a good month, everybody.